Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you um, via the live stream and preach in this way. Uh, shout out to my brothers and sisters at the 11am Easy English congregation. We've sung about it in our kids' song, and I am weak, and I'm also a failed friend. But given the immense subject before us this morning, let's pray and ask God for his help. Please pray with me. Our Father, feed us from your words of eternal life for trust and obedience and great comfort, we pray. And do help me to speak what's true from your word. For Jesus' sake, amen. As a child, I remember seeing for the first time a close adult cry, grieving, and it's somewhere in the recesses of my memory. And now, fast forward almost 20 years, as a young adult, I grieved for the first time. And in many ways, I was like a child then, for I hadn't suffered much. I hadn't known death close up. And as an unbeliever then, I really didn't want to think about death. You could say I was typically Aussie, for whom death is shushed or ignored. One overseas friend thinks that Australia is actually quite cold towards death as a culture. You could Google why the Irish get death, why the Irish get death, and read the first result in The Guardian. Or maybe you've seen that episode of The Crown on Netflix, Aberfan, where the whole Welsh town come together and lament in song, and it's incredible. So who laments well? Who expresses grief, whether by song or words and weeping? And not just as select individuals, but together and supported by others. And God shows us something of this in Job. Three points for the talk today. Point one, the holler of Job, two, the error of Eliphaz, and three, the power of God. But point one, the holler of Job. And not holler like give us a holler sometime or some hip-hop song, but holler as in a loud cry. That's Job's response to having everything taken and now sitting illness-stricken. He hollers to God and it's okay. Chapter 3, have a look with me, back in Job chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born and the night that said a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Job doesn't curse God like Satan said he would. He curses the day of his birth. He wants it dark and struck from history. And he doesn't hold back. He hollers out. Chapter 3, verse 11. Why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb and expire? He wishes... He'd not even been conceived in chapter 3. If conceived, he wishes he'd died in the womb. 
If not that, he wishes he'd not been born, and if born, he wishes he'd died at birth. And finally, chapter 6, verse 8, he wishes to die soon. Chapter 6, verse 8. Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would fulfil my hope, that it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. This would be my comfort. Wow, what do you say that you Shh, shh, shh. Don't, don't speak like that, Job. No. Chapter 6, verse 30, Job says, Is there any injustice on my tongue? Cannot my palate discern the cause of calamity? He's saying he's entitled to ask why. He doesn't know. We know from chapters 1 and 2 that God allowed Satan to strike. And it's God's honour that's at stake here. Is God worshipped only for the good things he gives? But Job knows none of that, doesn't know that discussion. He only knows that he was upright. And so why? His experience now defies all understanding, both his and his friends. And above all else, Job's concern is friendship with God. What of his life with God? It's not that his loss of his cattle and his work and his children and his health is nothing to him. That's all part of his life. But his concern is, am I right with God? And so he hollers and cries and much of it is directly to God. And that's okay. Point two, unlike Eliphaz... Eliphaz, the senior friend from Teman, which was known for its wisdom. Eliphaz is the first to speak. Now, it's interesting. He and his other friends, they only ever speak to Job. They never speak to God, unlike Job who does. And Sandy very helpfully said to us last week, Job is wheelchair theology, not armchair theology. Eliphaz speaks like from an armchair. And that doesn't make everything he says wrong. He's actually quite kind to Job to begin. And he reminds Job of what he knows. Chapter 4, chapter 4 from verse 3. Behold, you have instructed many and you've strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you've made firm the feeble knees. But now that it's come to you, and you're impatient, it touches you, and you're dismayed. But is not your fear of God, your comfort, and the integrity of your ways, your hope? He starts well. And it's what I'd hope others of, of you would say to me in need, and remind me of what I know is true. He also speaks some truth of God in chapter 5 from verse 9. Chapter 5 from verse 9. God, who does great things and unsearchable, marvellous things without number. He gives rain on the earth and sends waters on the field. But Eliphaz is in error also. Chapter 4 verse 7. Chapter 4 verse 7. Remember who that was innocent who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I've seen, those who plough iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. The theory is you reap what you sow. 
You reap what you sow. And although it's not said until later on in Job, it implies, Job, you're suffering because you've sinned. Now, we know as readers that that's not true from chapters 1 and 2. But if Job does insist that he's innocent, then is God unjust to him? He doesn't know what we know. So is God unjust? Eliphaz's error is that his universal observation, it doesn't fit with Job and his situation. Maybe Eliphaz realises that he's on shaky ground a little bit. So later in chapter 4, he starts to appeal to a spooky vision he's had from the Lord, which we'll return to in a moment. But we see how much he's in error in chapter 5 and verse 24. That this, this area, we're sort of um, taking a, a dipping into sections, but chapter 5, verse 24, if you can keep up. You shall know, says Eliphaz to Job, that your tent is at peace, and you shall inspect your fold and miss nothing. You shall know that your offspring shall be many, and your descendants as the grass of the earth. You shall come to your grave in ripe old age, like a sheaf gathered up in its season. He says, God will give you back your estate, and children, and even long life. Now, Yes, of course, God does give these things. But who spoke of these things earlier in Job? It was Satan. Satan accused in chapter 1, verse 9. Does Job fear God for no reason? Now, Eliphaz, with all his wisdom, promises it back to Job, echoing Satan's very purpose. Eliphaz, from his armchair, speaks beyond what he knows. In the words of God himself, later in chapter 42, verse 7, addressing Eliphaz, God says, you've not spoken of me what is right. So what then? Point three. What then? Who of us could possibly dare to speak with our limited knowledge? Friends, the lesson is not don't speak for fear of error, but rather being slow to speak the truth in love, speak it if you have wisdom from God. Eliphaz did not, and he spoke beyond his knowledge. And Job actually is never satisfied in this book until he hears from God himself later on. But we have it. A word from God himself, wisdom from God, in fact, the power of God in the word of the cross, which we've sung about so helpfully today. Now, quick question. How many times would you think the book of Job is quoted in the New Testament? An epic book of wisdom literature in the scriptures. I would have thought lots of times. Once. Maybe twice, but certainly in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19, the Apostle Paul amazingly, paradoxically, quotes Eliphaz. Chapter 3, oh, sorry, yes, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 from verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone amongst you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. 
for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. Eliphaz, from Job chapter 5 verse 13. It's like Eliphaz's words come back to bite him doubly as scripture. But remember Job's primary concern, number one for him, is friendship with God. And a big question that's woven through the book is, who can be right with God? Look at chapter 4 of Job, chapter 4, verse 17. Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? That's the heart of his spooky vision. And chapter 4, verse 7, has an innocent ever perished? Eliphaz is begging the question to be answered, no one. No one is right before God. There is no one righteous, which is true from scriptures. But it's not the whole picture. For in God's supreme wisdom is a man of sorrows. Isaiah 53, verse 4, verse 11, who like Job cries out to God, my God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? That's Christ crucified, quoting Psalm 22. Christ, God's suffering servant, in whom God counts many to be righteous by trusting him and the cross. The event where day was darkened, like Job cursed for the day of his birth, The event for which many in history, Jews and Muslims and atheists and others, have once struck from the records. The word of the cross, foolishness to those perishing, but to us who are being saved, the power of God. Only a word from God himself will satisfy Job. And that's what we have in the word of the cross, dear friends. So we know, we know suffering does not mean God hates you. For behold, his beloved son on the cross. Beloved. But also, knowing the cross, if only, knowing the cross doesn't sort of bing, automatically turn us into good friends to lament with those in need. If only that were the case, I say for myself. We need God's help by his spirit to love well, to be slow to speak and quick to listen. But the cross, the theology of the cross, said Martin Luther, it is foundational. In order to grieve with those who grieve, like one part of the body hurting, the whole hurts. And together with the one mind of Christ. We asked at the start, who laments well? Well, Christians, Christian grief is shaped by the man of sorrows. Christians at funerals grieve together, even those who aren't Christian but connected to Christians. There'll be many gathered to mourn together. Christians and Christian grief shaped by the man of sorrows were equipped from the scriptures, justified by blood, crying to our Father, grieving with hope and alongside one another.
We're immensely blessed this morning to hear very soon from a dear sister via the video. But first, let's pray. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for feeding us from your words of eternal life. For those of us trusting in the cross for your salvation there and adopting us as your dearly loved children and hearing our cries, we thank you, Father. And so equip us for every good work, including grieving and lamenting together. For Jesus' sake, in his day we pray. Amen.